Action Network podcast. It's time! Oh, Saturday night's all right, all right, and get a little action in. Welcome to the Action Network podcast. I am Sean Zarillo, joined today by former professional MMA fighter Billy Ward. We're going to take you through our favorite bets, our best underdogs, top props, some DFS angles, and certainly our best bets for Saturday night's UFC slate. 14 fights on the card starting at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's your prelim card. The main card will start at 7 p.m. Eastern, six fights on the main card. Fights taking place in Austin, Texas this weekend, so we may get some wonky judging based upon past fights that have taken place in Texas. Let's go straight to the main event between Calvin Cater, sitting between minus 230 and minus 250, depending on where you look, and Josh Emmett as high as plus 200 in the marketplace. Now, I kind of see this as a binary fight. I know we talk about some binary main events in the past, but I have a difficult time seeing Emmett winning a decision here. Cater's volume is just going to be so much more potent. Very durable guy, so it's going to be tough for Emmett to finish him, but Emmett hits about as hard as any fighter pound for pound in the UFC, averages over two knockdowns per 15 minutes. He's knocked down all of his opponents at featherweight, but he is a bit long in the tooth for featherweight in his late 30s. Typically, the average age for a featherweight is closer to the mid to early 30s. But Emmett's power is phenomenal, and if anybody is going to hurt Calvin Cater and put him down, Emmett is probably the guy to do it. That said, this is Emmett's first foray into a five-round fight. I believe it's Cater's fourth consecutive five-round fight. So the cardio edge, the volume edge, certainly go Cater's direction. He's also the longer and the taller fighter. Emmett perhaps has the wrestling advantage. He rarely uses it offensively. In fact, typically prefers to use it defensively, keep the fights on the feet, and then knock people out. That said, his fight power does carry into the third round, has knocked Michael Johnson out in the third round. His best round against Dan Ige was likely the third round of their fight. Relatively controversial split decision. I thought Emmett won that fight pretty clearly. I was not in that fight, so maybe I'm a little biased. But that said, Emmett is consistently underrated by the market. Typically an underdog in his fights, carries a lot of fight-ending power. Unless he's able to knock Cater down in three separate rounds or knock him out, though I do have a tough time seeing him winning this fight. Cater's volume is just going to be there for all 25 minutes. And even if he gets knocked down at a round, he might still be able to edge out these rounds on volume. Absolutely phenomenal elbows as he's exiting, exiting the clincher when he gets in close. So for me, Cater should be around 75% here. It depends how much you cap that Emmett finishing upside. I use Cater in a small parlay with Dawkins in the first fight of the night. I also think if you want to enter on Cater live, maybe after rounds one, two, or three, if he finds himself down a round, tied 1-1, or perhaps down 2-1, I do think he's eventually going to rally into the championship rounds, and he should win both of those rounds based on the expected cardio advantage. Billy, I know you prefer the underdog side of this fight. What did I miss with Josh Emmett that has you backing his money on? Yeah, you know, I don't really think you missed anything. And you mentioned the judging, and I think that was actually one of the bigger points for me is we've seen lately just such a strong trend towards damage or power, or at least what the judges perceive as damage or power being rewarded over things like volume or control time. And I think Emmett could look really good in that category. You know, Katara is not a really good defensive striker. He eats over seven and a half strikes per minute. And when you're fighting someone who hits as hard as Emmett, that's not really a great combination. 
you know, Qatar is obviously very, very durable, which is why I'm not going for the inside the distance prop on Emmett. But I could see him carrying the first two, three, you know, three of the first four rounds just by landing the bigger shots or at least what looks like the bigger shots. So I just think with the way things are being judged now, that's something that we really need to adjust for where, you know, for the longest time, if a guy had better volume, we'd say, oh, well, if it goes to a decision, that better volume is going to carry it. I don't think that's the case now. We'll see if the Texas judges have got that memo the way they have other places. But I think Emmett has the power. And then he does have more of the grappling upside if he chooses to go there, which could help him survive the final round or two if he carries the fight early. Yeah, my skepticism with him offensively grappling, I think in a three-round fight, I would absolutely be betting Emmett over a five-round fight where he hasn't proven the cardio in the fourth and fifth rounds. I don't know if he's even going to want to try to grapple because that may sap his gas tank. I'm also not really sure how I see Cater winning. Maybe he gets a late stoppage. Maybe this goes to a decision. We've seen Emmett get hurt in the past, knocked out in the past. So I could see actually a late stoppage for Cater. Maybe his round four, round five props would be of interest to me. I don't really love his decision prop at the number it's at. But a good fight, definitely a banger. And Cater will put himself in positions to get hit by Emmett. So could certainly see Emmett getting it done. I just think Cater is the likelier minute winner, particularly down the stretch. Let's move on to our favorite underdog bets. I'm actually going to start here because your favorite underdog leads into our favorite props. So we're going to push our fight of the night down a little bit from where we normally do as we break down these fights. And my favorite underdog is Garam Kutatalad's. Plus 150 at DraftKings. I like him quite a bit. Now, I bet Mateus Gamrot against him in Kutadaladze's UFC debut. He's a training partner of Hanzat Shemaev. Guy's very, very ferocious, very sturdy, really good defensive grappler. He got taken down a few times in that fight and was consistently able to scramble back to his feet. So, Demir Shmagulov, very well-rounded fighter, can certainly take him down, but I don't see him controlling Kutadaladze for long stretches. And on top of that, Garam has the better power between these two. Maybe Ishmagulov lands more volume, but as you were just talking about with damage and cater, I think Garam is going to land the harder strikes. He's going to have the bigger moments of the fight. And in a three-round fight, that can certainly be enough to swing the scorecards. He might have even lost that fight against Gamrot. He thought he did after the fight. He said on the mic that he thought that Gamrot won the fight. And Gamrot's a guy I'm extremely high on. I think he's a future champion, maybe a future title contender at minimum. This is a phenomenal fight, though. Both of these guys are probably future top 15 ranked lightweights. I think they're both tremendous, both very well-rounded. Just for me, Garam has the finishing upside, has more power, likely to do more damage. And if he's able to keep this fight on the feet, I expect him to land the harder and the cleaner strikes. Keep Ishmagulov off of him with his kicks. Those front kicks are very dangerous that he throws and good range rinders. So I like Garam quite a bit here at plus 150. I think he should be closer to 45%, still an underdog, but getting that plus 150, 40% implied on him, I think is about a 5% edge. You're going with the fight between Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozon. This is a fight that was rebooked from the Oliveira and Gaethje pay-per-view. Cowboy dropped out with apparently food poisoning. He's been over in Thailand since filming a movie with Rampage Jackson. So not sure how committed he is to the fight game at this point. As much as he is at making money, tell me why you're backing Joe Lozon at around plus 145. Yeah, this is honestly, I think, an awesome card for underdogs. When I first looked through it, I wanted to bet most of them. But, you know, Lozon really stands out. It's hard. We got two older guys, both, or at the very least, Cerrone is almost certainly washed. You know, he hasn't won a fight in what feels like forever. Lozon hasn't fought in almost three years, and he still has the more recent win of the pair. 
with his last fight coming as a TKO victory. But yeah, I just think, you know, Cerrone is a guy who's always been super reckless, balls to the wall, chin in the air, and he has no chin anymore. He's been knocked out twice since Lozon's last fought. And this is one where if Cerrone was plus 140, I'd be fine betting that too. But either of these guys at plus money and what should be a pretty high variance fight, someone's probably going to get finished pretty quick. You know, I really like some of the angles that you're going to give us later on it too. But I just think, you know, Lozon having taken less recent damage is where I'm going to go with this one, especially when you're getting plus money on him. And that'll lead into our favorite props of the night. We're going to push fight of the night, as I mentioned, down to the next section because my favorite props are on Joe Lozon. Lozon to win in round one is plus 600 at DraftKings. Lozon to win inside the distance is plus 290 at FanDuel. I actually prefer those to his money line around plus 145. Most of his win condition is probably early in this fight. Cowboy's a bit of a slow starter, tends to build as his fights go. And if his chin is truly gone, Lozon is probably going to crack him early and hurt him and maybe put him down, maybe even gets a club and sub, which is why I'm playing the inside the distance as opposed to the knockout prop. But inside the distance, plus 290, projected that closer to plus 200. And I think a lot of Lozon's win condition is certainly in round one. When Cowboy typically looks stuck in the mud, definitely a slow starter. Lozon typically comes out with his hair on fire. So an early Lozon finish, I think, is his likeliest win condition by a pretty long shot or by, by a pretty significant margin, I should say. Uh, this fight to end inside the distance, probably a good bet as well, because Lozon does tend to fade if the fights extend. And maybe Cowboy, a live bet after round one, is probably the best way to play the favorite because I think you'll certainly get a better price. I would expect Lozon to win the opening five minutes and maybe even finish him in the second, which is why I'm splitting my bets between the round one prop and the inside the distance prop. One other prop I want to mention, Julian Marquez to win in round three. You can get as high as plus 1,600. Plus 1,200 is fine against RoboCop. RoboCop tends to fade late in his fights. And when he fades, he starts to get in a brawl and decide we're ending this right here. We're going to see who's going to win. I view Marquez as the fighter with the way better chin, way more durability. Maybe he gets submitted early by RoboCop, but if these two decide to slug it out, if Marquez is able to tire him out, drag him in deep waters, I think he can finish him late. So 16 to one on Marquez to win in round three, I think is a solid long shot prop as well. You're looking at the fight between Natalia Silva and Jasmine Jusatovicius. Uh, Jusatovicius was a plus 200 underdog, roughly, against Kay Hansen. Now she's coming in as a over minus 200 favorite against Silva, who hasn't fought in a couple of years. In her mid-20s, expected her to make some improvements coming in off of that long layoff. How are you firing at this fight from a prop perspective? Yeah, that Jusatovicius line is a good point because we haven't really seen Kay Hansen look all that good, so I don't think we should stock up Jasuda Vicious that high just because she won a fairly lackluster decision against Kay Hansen. You know, like it wasn't some dominant performance. But I just think the the majority of Sylvia's Silva's win condition is based on a submission here. She has seven of her 12 wins as a professional by submission, including all of the last five. And it's probably more than that. She's got some regional fights where there's not a win method listed, but she's fought reasonably tough competition before her layoff. She submitted a 10 and five fighter and a three and O fighter in her last two fights. And that's really not, I don't think um, that much appreciably worse than the competition that Jasuda vicious has been fighting. So when you're seeing plus 650 for her as a submission prop, and that seems to be the vast majority of how she finishes fights, I'm going to lay a little bit on that one just to uh, get those long odds. Let's move on to our fight of the night. We had a lot of options for this one. This is a really strong card from top to bottom, the prelims all the way through the main card. I have a difficult time seeing too many fights that I'm not, not really interested in and definitely a lot at stake in terms of ranking spots, 
potential fighters who could be ranked in the future, top prospects like Albert Garayev. So a lot of good fights on this card. Definitely see a lot of potential for violence. And I think we both have a violent spot in our fight of the night between Kevin Holland and Tim Means. Holland coming in as high as minus 300 means you can get as high as plus 250 on the comeback. This is Holland's second fight at welterweight, and he could have moved down to welterweight a long time ago. Used to fight at middleweight. Definitely didn't want to cut the weight, but has more of a welterweight frame. His takedown defense should be much better at welterweight. It did look a little bit better against Alex Oliveira. On top of that, he's been working extensively with Johnny Hendricks, former UFC fighter and champion Johnny Hendricks on his wrestling and I'm sure he's made some improvements. I believe he even went over to Dagestan at one point to train his wrestling a little bit. Holland's just a bit of a head case, and you never know what you're going to get from him. Is he coming out looking to finish? Is he coming out looking to trash talk his opponent and beat them up over the course of 15 minutes? Tim Means is not the most durable fighter. I think he actually may be the better technical striker between these two, but Holland certainly hits harder, has the length advantage. And just has this intensity about him where he's looking to finish all of his fights. He may even have the grappling upside here as well. He doesn't go to it that often, but he is a black belt under Travis Luter. Collins a really well-rounded fighter. It's just the head in the, the fight IQ decisions that he makes sometimes are the real issues with him. But we both like Holland to win inside the distance at plus 185. I projected this line closer to about plus 110. So I think this is pretty tremendous value, about an 8% edge. On Holland's inside the distance prop, maybe means is competitive early. Oliveira was competitive with Holland early, but at some point I expect Holland to land clean and some straight punches down the middle. Kurt means and potentially put him away. Maybe even, like I said, previously with Lozon, I could see a club and sub for Holland as well, considering his jujitsu skills. So if this fight hits the mat, I could see Holland subbing him. Less likely than Holland putting him out on the feet. Billy, how do you see this fight playing out? Do you think Means could be competitive? If you were playing a money line only, do you think Means at plus 250 is inside? Yeah, I, I would say that if we had to go money line just because this line has moved so much. I actually got Holland at like minus 240 earlier in the week and was pretty happy about that. But at this point, you know, we could arbitrage that at plus 250 on Means. But, you know, the reason I'm looking at the inside the distance is Means made his debut in the UFC as a lightweight and fought as a lightweight primarily before that. Now that was a long time ago. He's had a ton of UFC fights, but he's a guy who, if there was a 160 or 165 class would be perfect for it. And I really like Holland at, as a 170, you know, he was a pretty small middleweight, but he's, he's huge at welterweight and means as a guy, he's six to 75 inch reach who almost always has the reach advantage over his opponents, you know, obviously at lightweight, but even at welterweight, the last two times he's fought fighters either with a longer reach or within one inch of reach of him, he's been finished. That was Daniel Rodriguez with a guillotine and Nico Price knocked him out. I don't think it's, it's easy for a guy like that who almost always has a reach to fight someone like Holland who is seating six inches too in that department. So that's where I see the strikes coming in and you touched on the jujitsu. I don't, necessarily think this one's going to spend a lot of time on the mat but holland can pull subs out anywhere so that's why i'm going with inside the distance rather than the knockout odds but i definitely think knockout is the most likely condition with holland having much better power you know he's really like half a weight class or a weight class bigger than means all things considered and just that huge reach advantage and he's nine years younger and we all know the stats on older fighters and how well they do so yeah, when there's about that nine-year age gap, I mention it as much as I can, but the younger fighter wins about 10% more than the odds would indicate. I believe they're typically aligned around 58%, and they win about 68% of the time. You also mentioned the size discrepancy. Holland, a former middleweight, 
means used to fight at lightweight. So there should be roughly a weight class and differential in size by the time that they're in the cage. I don't really know how much weight means cuts even to get to 170. And on top of that, his cardio isn't the best either. So down the stretch, I would expect Holland to really be taking over this fight and he may find a later finish round two, round three is more likely where I see it happening after a more competitive round one. Let's talk about the DFS slate, 14 fights on this card. So a lot more variance and variety that you could make in terms of your lineups. Billy, give me some DFS angles and your strategy for how you're playing the fights this week. Yeah, I love these bigger cards, you know, because we can really focus on just playing the fighters we want to play. But if you look at the stoppage on this fight, there's not a ton that are super long to be stopped. So you mentioned Julian Marquez and G-Rod. That one's minus 205. And then Lozon Cerrone is minus 200. Those are the longest stoppage odds. I think we really need to make getting fighters from those fights a priority. You know, the favorites in those fights aren't super expensive. And we've both mentioned being on the underdog. So that really opens up a lot of salary. And then I think you mentioned Durayev as well. That fight's minus 190 to end inside the distance. I like Buckley there to get a quick finish. I like Durayev to get a finish late. So those are like the three fights that I'm really looking at. And then in terms of just a cheap fighter with longer stoppage odds that can really fill up a box score even in a loss, Tony Kelly looks awesome here. He's got a ton of volume. That fight is, I think, roughly a toss-up to end inside the distance. Or minus 150. So it's not, you know, the best fight in terms of that. But if it goes one or two rounds, he can usually put up enough volume that for cash games, that should be more than what you like or more than what you need. And I don't really love the top end here. You know, we've mentioned some of the heavier favorites and the holes we see with them. I don't think Cody Stamen really does enough to justify his salary. Yanez could against a very durable Kelly with how many strikes he's going to take. But I'm looking real heavily at this middle range in here where there's just a lot of fighters with some stoppage potential who aren't super expensive. We've got Kyle Dawkins is a good play. Really like Jeremiah Wells. Really like that fight with Court McGee where I could see either of them putting up a big score. So super fun card. You know, I'm staying away from the ultra heavy favorites because I don't think they do enough at their salary. And yeah, going to be looking at more balanced lineups this week. You mentioned the fight between Cody Stamen and Eddie Wineland. Cody Stamen is the biggest favorite on the card around minus 550, even as high as minus 600. Eddie Wineland is a career 90% takedown defense, and Stamen is a wrestler whose best path to victory is usually through wrestling. That said, Wineland might be completely shot and might get knocked out by Stamen, but Stamen, from a DFS perspective, probably a guy I'd look to avoid. Curious, before we get to our best bets, do you have any fight thoughts on Deron Wynn as an underdog against Phil Haas? Haas, a fighter I typically look to fade. I was taking a look at Wynn around plus 225. Sometimes he has difficulty making weight. He's the much smaller fighter. But do you have any interest in Wynn as an underdog, considering you said you like a lot of dogs this week? I do, yeah. He was one that I was going to mention as one of the possible underdogs, which obviously means at 7,200 for DFS, like pretty much any win in that range gets there. But he could rack up a lot of takedowns here. He could also put them away, and I wouldn't really be shocked at either of those. So, yeah, that's a good fight. It's interesting. I mentioned it to you before, but these fighters have real similar statistical profiles despite being physically just about as different as you can be in the same weight class. You know, they're both good wrestlers, throw pretty heavy, have some holes in their game. Cardio, I think, is somewhat questionable on both of them. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting fight. This one probably, it could either be stopped or turn into one of those sloppy light heavyweight or middleweight fights where not a lot happens late. So that's my hesitation from a DFS standpoint. But Hawes six feet tall with a 77-inch reach. Win is 5'6". With the 70-inch reach, it's going to look absolutely hilarious. Seeing those guys square off, and we may just get a wrestling match where Win I view as the better wrestler. So at plus 220, 
I think I'm going to end up playing win as well. Those are real good for DFS if you get them. I don't know how many people listening are familiar with like wrestling scoring systems, but to score a takedown in wrestling, the other fighter has to get up and get away and escape. But what we, what wrestlers would call a mat return, where you kind of get back to your feet, but the guy is still hooked up and takes you back down, that scores another five points in DFS. So we could see tons of those if this does turn into a wrestling match, where we see some of those weird lines where it's like, how did he get 12 takedowns in a round? Because he didn't really. It's just the way the UFC scores it is a little bit different. So that could produce a lot of points on both sides of this one. And it could also get a little bit tilting too, because sometimes they don't score those mat returns as full takedowns. But Wynn is excellent at that, trains at AKA. With guys like Khabib, Daniel Cormier, Big fan of his and trained him definitely as well. Similar wrestling style to Cormier in terms of how he's able to trip people as soon as they get back to their feet, put them right back down on the mat. So I definitely like wins wrestling. Just think Haas has the better finishing upside because he carries so much power and he's so much bigger. So let's go to our best bets for the card. I'm going to end up mentioning a bet that I've already mentioned. So Billy, I'm going to start with you first. Yeah, I'm looking at Jeremiah Wells against Court McGee. One, this is just a really fun fight. Like, these guys both have pretty high-level grappling, both have some good power, good pop. But I see Jeremiah Wells here having most of the finishing upside on the feet. You know, he swings everything with ill intentions, and he's also a really high-level jiu-jitsu player. So, you know, McGee is known as more of a wrestler, I would say, all things considered. But I don't know that he's even going to want to take this one down to Wells, where Wells has the ability to take the fight to the ground if it needs to be. And he's also, I think, fairly significantly better athlete here we saw him against blood diamond you know sprinting around after him and looking really explosive while he tried to chase him and get a hold of him to bring him to the ground but he's also just a finisher you know he's finished both of his ufc fights he's 35 so it's weird to call him a prospect but he only has two ufc fights and i think he's on the upswing where a guy like mcgee who's been around for a while he's 37 had a three fight losing streak before his last two wins, which were both decisions. That's not a fighter I'm looking at as a favorite. And we've seen this line move to make Wells a little bit of an underdog here. So I think you can get him at plus one Oh five plus one ten, depending on the book. And I would make him as the slight favorite in this one. We're actually on opposite sides of that one. I do like McGee, but I think the best way to play him is probably live after round one. You mentioned Wells has more finishing upside. You don't see him as a guy with a ton of cardio. Maybe Wells is round one props is inside the distance props. Maybe an even better way to play him considering that finishing upside. I do think McGee, better cardio, probably takes over down the stretch. But it is worth noting, Wells' gym in Philly, Sean Brady, Andre Petrovsky, Pat Sabatini, and Wells, they are combined 14-0 in the UFC. That gym is yet to lose yet. In the UFC, maybe it finally happens this weekend. But if you're willing to hide the hot streak at a plus money number, you could do worse than Jeremiah Wells. I just think maybe taking his finish props could be a more optimal way to play him. And if you like McGee, maybe live after round one is how you hedge out. My best bet of the card, I already mentioned it, but it's also my favorite underdog bet, Garam Kutatalads against Demir Shmagulov, plus 150 out there at DraftKings. Favorite underdog, maybe Deron Wynn would be the under other underdog that I like on this card. But Kutatalads is my favorite play. Like I mentioned, projected him closer to 45%. The implied odds are telling you he wins 40% of the time. Carries more significant power than Ishmagulov. Probably less volume. Don't think he's going to get taken down and held down. Maybe he'll get taken down, but not held down for extended periods. Going to have Hamzat. I'm not sure if Hamzat will be in his corner, actually, for this fight, but he is a training partner of Hamzat. Hamzat was in his corner for his last fight. And really, he just blew me away with how well he performed against Mateus Gamrat, who we're going to see headlining on next week's card. So Gutatalad's coming off of a layoff. I think people are forgetting how good this guy is but I think he's definitely going to be a future ranked fighter at lightweight. 
And that'll do it for us. Enjoy the fights on Saturday night in Austin again, starting at 4 p.m. Eastern time, main card at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure to check out the content that Billy and I put out on actionnetwork.com. You can find my projections, find our best bets and our breakdowns, including our senior editor, Dan Stupp, new editor of Combat Sports. For the final three fights on this card, the Holland fight, the main event between Lazan and Cerrone, and then finally the main event between Calvin Gator and Josh Emmett. Best of luck this weekend. We'll see you next Friday.